Hey, Pasa, Peaks and Valleys family. My name is TK Trinidad, and I've been in the broadcast industry for about 10 years now. And you wouldn't believe how everything is changing. For example, podcasts. Before you needed expensive equipment like mics and headphones, but now all you need is Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First off, it's absolutely free. Second, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast. It's everything you need in a podcast in one place. Make sure to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I hope you guys enjoy this episode of Peaks and Valleys with TK Trinidad. Ciao, guys. Jamal Hill is a Paralympic swimmer and educator in Los Angeles, California. As a child, his dreams were almost cut short when he was diagnosed with a genetic disease that caused him to be partially paralyzed for years. However, today he has his sights on the 2021 Paralympic Games in Tokyo. Life as an athlete ain't easy, and Jamal joins Peaks and Valleys to talk about it right now. They say it is the darkest before the dawn. But what do you do before the dawn comes when all you have is candles and night lights guiding your path until morning, until your sight is restored and you can see your way out, your way through, your way to the other side. You push with all your might until the day breaks and your victory comes. This is Peaks and Valleys with TK Trinidad. Hey guys, we are here with Team USA para swimmer Jamal Hill. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Let's just get all the way into it because your story is absolutely amazing. Tell us about the time where like you essentially hit rock bottom. For sure. Uh, so 10 years old, I know I may be young for a lot of people on here. Hard to believe, you know, what rock bottom could a 10 year old hit? Um, at 10 years old, I went from, you know, only child, living my life, having a great time, very athletic, to pretty much laid up in a children's hospital bed experiencing uh, a temporary full body paralysis. I could only really move from my from my neck to the temple of my head. Everything else I lost complete control over. And that is definitely, I would say, probably the rock bottom. Yeah, like, so at 10 years old, because you were all, well, not we're all, but you're kind of used to being, like, active. And so yeah. at 10 years old, like, you can't really comprehend what's happening. Like, you haven't really lived a life, per se. So what was going through your mind? Uh, you know, I'll be quite, I'll be honest with you. I'm pretty, uh, I got a pretty uh, optimistic disposition. I really wasn't, I wasn't too worried about it. You know, I mean, there was definitely scary elements. You know, you're being in a hospital. If anyone's ever been hospitalized, they run all the tests in the basement. Right. Big machines, you know, it's a huge machine, but the space that you go in is a claustrophobic space. <laughs> you know, sharp, sharp knives, sharp needles. But I had my parents there, so that that made it a lot better. Uh, in terms of experience, I would just say, yeah, I may have been ten, and and I didn't, you know, even after that for years to come, I I was never made privy to exactly what the disease that I was experiencing was called. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you, like, ten year olds are conscious. If you got like a nephew or a daughter, son, something like that, you're ten years old, you know stuff, you know. So I went yeah. from I can do this, 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 and this and talk to my body in these ways to now it feels like I'm standing on my kneecaps. You know, even though my legs are there, it doesn't feel like they're there unless somebody else hits them. Now my hands and my forearms, uh, according to the doctors, are 
operating at like 30% capacity. So it's hard mm. to hold on to things, you know, I'm fumbling, I'm tripping all the time now. People just thought I was clumsy. So at that point, like you said, you have like a really good disposition, but do you mm. think that like you were going to regain, like you were going to get to a hundred percent again, or like what? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like what happened? <laughs> what happened? Yeah, I didn't mean to laugh at that. I didn't understand at that time the percentages for sure. Um, it, it was never a matter of like things are going to go back to the way they were. Even though I was young and even though things weren't explained to me. And I, I don't want to speak too hyperbolic here, but just being in the disability space, I feel like in some ways I can. Like if you were to lose a limb, at no point are you thinking I'm going to regrow this limb. And okay. that's, kind of, you know, that's kind of where I was at with it. Um, so I'm in this new body. And now my mindset is, you know, as we speak to this, this uh, kind of optimistic disposition is like, how do I operate in this world that, you know, one being black, you know what I'm saying? Coming up as a black boy, you know, parents always telling me, listen, you got to be 10 times better just, mm-hmm. just to get a shot. Right. And then also understanding on a very small degree as a child that, you know, we're talking about we're talking about, uh, I don't know, 10 years old, 95. We're talking about 03 right now, 0305. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot of the spaces of, you know, inclusion and diversity and black and disability are open now. But back right. then, being a black boy, definitely, you know, within if you're with the black boys, but like definitely not in. But also disability was not in. Right. Like, you know what I'm like 100 percent. You know, not openly frowned upon, but definitely behind the scenes looked down upon, looked as in some ways less than a human as, as people who couldn't achieve whatever it is that they thought they could achieve. So my main thing was, how do I navigate this world now? Obviously, again, just like culturally, but I'm now trying to like, I have this invisible disability in some ways. And I don't want anyone else to know about it because I don't want them to judge me. I don't want them to put me in a box. And in some ways, I feel like I'm not entirely deserving of this life now because of this group that I'm a part of. Like for your disposition, is it like because of your family? Like, is your family like that? Because there are people where this will happen and essentially that's it. I wouldn't say they never recover, but, you know, it's more of, okay, well, this is where I am and it's not it's not going to get better. My life is not going to be great. And you've essentially, like what you're doing now, which we'll get into in a minute, like mm-hmm. that's a different type of mindset right there. So what do you attribute yeah. that to? A hundred percent. I mean, you know, obviously Jamal had to make his own choices throughout life, right? Nobody mm-hmm. can make choices for me. I know people with some of the most supportive groups and like they still choose to do something else. Mm-hmm. With that acknowledgement, I saw a meme recently that said, you know, how your parents talk to you as a child is, you know, almost like what your inner voice develops to as an adult. Okay. And so from a young age, I was just always filled with love and belief and like, you can do it, go for it, love you whether you fail or not. There's no such thing as failure. If you can't do it now, just practice, you know what I'm saying? What do you got mm-hmm. to lose? You're going to get better. So I think that is that was 100% my foundation. Nice. Well, kudos to your parents for that. So now yeah. let's fast forward. You're moving. So like what <laughs> what happened? Like like how what was the process to get to where you are right now? Well, so that happened when I was 10. I just turned 26 last week. So it's been a 16 year process. Happy birthday. Uh, 
thank you. <laughs> so it's been a 16 year process. It's difficult to explain uh, some, some of the things that I really say is like over the course of these past 16 years, I've developed a lot of compensation patterns to pretty much create this illusion of movement. There are fine motor skills and certain things that I just can't do no matter how hard I try that I can't fool people into thinking I can do it. So like my jumping ability, you know, obviously I'm a pro athlete. I'm extremely fit. I definitely grew up in a basketball space. You know, I've never been able to dunk a basketball again because mm-hmm. I'm just not able to generate that type of lift off of my knees. And, you know, I have extremely skinny calves and ankles. There's mm-hmm. pretty much muscle degeneration there. So a lot of my motion, actually, like I got these two massive muscles on my lower back. It's like my butt goes into these two big haunches. It's like a second butt on my back um, mm-hmm. that I've developed over the years to be able to move bilaterally through space. Um, and there are a lot of other just simple minor things that plus like this kind of ego pride element, which has served me in some ways, but held me back in a lot of other ways. I kind of adapted to, to motion. Kudos to that, because like just thinking of like you when you're a 10 and essentially like you said from your neck up, like you can move from your neck down, like nothing was happening. And now you're training for the Paralympics, which is happening 2021, which is this year in Tokyo. So how does somebody come with the dream of walking and doing, you know, regular stuff is pretty, but you want to be an Olympian. So how did that dream come about? <laughs> Yo, that, that's a great question. Um, number one, like even through the the really rock bottom time, it's like no matter what the doctor said, in my mind, like walking was never gonna be not a thing for me. You know, like walking, mm-hmm. running, like okay, I get it. You don't you don't recover from this. I get it. Like most people who deal with this disease have to wear ankle braces have to wear like full force gump leg braces or a wheelchair bound. Yeah. But honestly, that stuff was just kind of, it was affecting my parents' mindset more than it was affecting me, honestly. I'm like, these people don't know what they're talking about. They must not know who I am. <laughs> but, uh, you know, all, all jokes aside, though, um, I actually didn't decide to be this pro athlete until I was like almost 21 or 22, uh, all throughout okay. middle school all throughout high school, all throughout college. Um, You know, I was definitely athletic. I played basketball. I played some baseball. Um, I did some swimming. No coaches or teachers or anything like that ever knew that I was dealing with a disability. And it wasn't until I was a junior in college, I pretty much had like a heartbreaking championships. My -hmm. whole family was in Ohio looking at me 2,000 miles away. It was not good. Uh, mm-hmm. I never know whether I can curse or not on the show. So like oh, all no, those, <laughs> you know, it was, it was just a shit show, honestly. Mm-hmm. And it broke my heart. And, you know, I definitely have high emotional intelligence, but I'm not a crier. I just don't emote that way. I boohooed the whole way back to campus. Mm-hmm. Went into a small depression after uh, for a few days. And just that perspective made me realize like, oh my God. I think I really care about swimming. I'm here in college studying physics. I'm missing a class like every two days. Like maybe I should just go and try and be a pro swimmer. Okay. And that's what happened. I mean, what does the para- Paralympics look like? Like, you know, you see, obviously you see the Olympics all over the place and you do mm-hmm. see bits and pieces of the Paralympics, you know, here and there. Mm-hmm. You do see clips of it on television. But as an athlete, what does that mm-hmm. does that look like? 
Yeah, um, definitely. Number one, it's important to say this would be my first Paralympic Games. So, you know, I can't speak to the exact Paralympic, you know, uh, experience firsthand. Um, I've definitely been to international Paralympic competitions. I've, you know, represented the USA on four continents at this point and brought international medals home. And also, I just have like some history of the sport, you know, so it's growing. It's definitely growing, especially at disability awareness and disability acceptance. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. like you know a term or not, but people get that as that grows. Um, and we realize that people are people at the end of the day. So this coming year, you know, NBC has agreed to over 1,500 hours of broadcast time for the Paralympics. So that's a new record. Definitely, I will say one challenge with the Paralympics, though, is that with the Olympics, obviously there's, there's only two – how can I say this? There's only, there's only two classes of athletes per sport that can be seen, right? A men's and a women's, period. Mm-hmm. Every sport yeah. has a men and a women. But in Paralympics, right, you'll have all the sports that are in the Olympics you still have a men's group and a women's group, but now in both the men's group and the women's group, there can be anywhere from, you know, uh, uh, three to 14 subgroups depending upon disability. So okay. when we start to, you know, do that math, you know, and do those factors, it's easy to understand, one, why it's a little bit confusing, right? Because somebody's looking at me like, oh, are you swimming against somebody who has no arms and no legs? Right. Right. Classifications. Um, but also just from a broadcast standpoint, you know, you being a host and producer, you can understand right off the bat, that's a lot of stuff to try and like catch and televise. 2021. So you've been picked for 2021. Are you training to through the trial? Yeah, not quite. I've not been picked yet. We have our first round of trials in April of 2021. I'm definitely, you know, I'm a top seed in the U.S. right now, you know, for, for a couple events. I'm ranked number seven globally right now for, for my primary event. My primary focus is just to make the team at this point. Uh, with that said, though, one thing that the Paralympics has that the Olympics doesn't have is, um, you know, these athletes have to be classified, you know, depending upon their disability. There's this human judgment element that, like, the Olympics don't experience, right? Like, somebody has to decide whether you belong in this group or you belong in this group. And obviously we all have medical documentation, but like it still comes down to, in some ways, you know, people are people there. People have biases. People see what they see and think what they think. So you could easily be reclassified. You could be classed lower, which if you're fast, that makes it better. You could be classed higher, which if you're fast makes it worse because now you're slower. It's definitely a toss-up. Again, at this point, my primary focus is just making the team. What, what drives you in the way to, to do that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, really what drives me is, like, is that obviously I love swimming. <laughs> you know, I don't think anyone would swim if they didn't try and do it as a career. I hope they wouldn't do it if they didn't love it. Really, for me, like, it's bigger than swimming. You know, like, it's a platform for me. And from day one, I knew that's what it was going to be. Uh, as an Olympic, Paralympic athlete, nobody's rolling in the dough. You feel me? It's not the NBA. It's not the NFL. It's not the MLB. It's not FIFA League. It's not the G League. Uh, so from jump, I knew that coming into this space was going to, you know, obviously allow me to live my dream, but also was going to really allow me this global platform to push whatever brand and mission and message that it was that I was going to push 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, obviously training day in and day out, that's just the name of the game, you know. <laughs> There's no getting around that, you know. The, the disappointments, the, the wins, the highs, the lows of training, that's just what it is. But I think what really keeps me going is how many connections in my life that I've been able to attach to that training, you know, and, and to the, the even whether I'm successful or not, just the vision of seeing me representing the United States as a black man swimming and the other things that I'm involved in, you know. So mm-hmm. that, that, that's what drives me. I made my first Team USA Paralympic squad. That just means that I'm able to represent the United States, you know, in international competitions, you know, uh, in Paralympic sports. Um, when I made that team, I'm like, man, it's great. I plan on winning medals. I plan on doing this for another 10 to 12 years. Definitely going to be in Los Angeles for LA 2028, you know, making it rain gold. I need to offer something more to not only my community, 100% my community, um, but also just like the world at large. People people need to be able to pull more away from me than just like, you know what I'm saying? He's got a nice smile and gold around his neck. I'm happy, you know? like, And so uh, that sparked, you know, pretty much this initiative to teach a million people how to swim. Uh, you know, I was a lifeguard for lifeguard taught lessons for almost an entire decade. You know, I just had so much experience and, and knowledge in this space. Um, so I was aware of a lot of the challenges that beginning swimmers face, especially, you know, when they come from certain cultural backgrounds, whether that be black, whether that be brown, whether that be Asian, even in the disability space. And so pretty much the same day I made that team, we began working uh, towards what is now my, my nonprofit, Swim Uphill nonprofit, that is dedicated to teaching a million people how to swim through mm-hmm. swim education that meets these cultural and environmental needs that I've not seen any other program or curriculum meet. Nice. I like that. So where can people find if they want to donate or help out or just for more information? Absolutely. Number one, bless you. Okay. Bring blessings back when you go here. Go to swimuphill.org. So that's swim, S-W-I-M-U-P, like you're going up, and then H-I-L-L, swimuphill.org. You type that into your web browser. Admittedly, the website is still under construction, but it looks great. You probably wouldn't know the difference. I'm just telling you that because I know the difference. (laughs) It looks great. There's more than enough information there for you to at least get a basic understanding of what it is that we do and the impact that we're looking to have. Outside of that, I would just say definitely follow me on Instagram at Swim Uphill. And uh, mm-hmm. we're low key just kind of running the SEO of Swim Uphill these days. So you- now, one last question before we get out of here just one sentence to motivate people. What would that be? Here we go. You don't got to come in first to be a winner. Ooh, I like that. Say that one more time. Let's say it. You don't got to come in first to be a winner. Peaks and Valleys is produced by Josh Rodriguez and TKO Productions. Spoken word and voiceover is done by yours truly, Lem Gonzalez. Thank you for listening. And remember, after the darkness comes the dawn.